0: The first practice we did for the communion focus, um, there was a part that you had to do something like a breath prayer and then every day kind of do an, do your breath prayer just to centre your thoughts and all your things that goes around in your day to bring you back to Christ and how that creates an expectation for the communion that you're going to have that week. And that was extremely special for me and, I, and, and for our table. And um, it's become... It has become something that is part of our daily life up until now. I mean, it was something actually so simple, but it's so, it, just, it shifts your mind completely. Um, and it really centered our hearts around God's provision of Jesus, firstly, our precious lamb, and how Jesus pursues not only our table, but, but me personally, as his beloved, as his betrothed, he pursues me.
1: Welcome to the Follower Podcast,
0: a place for conversations and ideas on how we follow Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth.
2: Followers, is a community of learning and practice in the way of Jesus.
0: And you can find out more about resources, events, and how to get involved
2: by visiting
0: www.wearefollower.com or finding us on your social media platform of choice. We hope you enjoyed this episode with your host, Matthew Lewis.
2: Welcome back to the Follower Podcast, everybody. So good to be in your ears after a, a little bit of a while away. I've been doing some ministry in and around Europe. Uh, shout out to the guys at Waverley Abbey, the guys at YWAM Berlin, the guys at YWAM Heronhut and the One Artist Collective. Incredible people there, my friends in the Netherlands, uh, in, in Ireland area there that I, I genuinely can't pronounce, but uh, wonderful being with you guys and then uh, coming back through Abu Dhabi with my friends uh, at renowned Church there and then back here in South Africa. So it's been a pretty good trip, uh, done a lot of wonderful things, seen a lot of wonderful things in God at work in and through my life in that space. Um, and now good to be back on the podcast for what will be a three-part series. Um, you may or may not know that the follower community uh, does these things called focuses. So Uh, What a focus is, If if you're new to the podcast, follower is a community of learning and practice in the way of Jesus. So we're not only a podcast, we're also a small group of people who are intentionally wanting to do exactly those two things. We want to learn the way of Jesus and then we want to practice it in our own lives. Um, Now, if you talk about the way of Jesus, that's a pretty uh, big and broad topic. Even the scriptures say if you had to write down everything this man did, there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world (laughs) for, for the breadth and depth of his life. And so what we do is we try to take pieces of the life of Jesus, anything he modeled or taught or commanded, and then we try and break those down to one specific focus at a time. Um, And then we learn about that focus and we practice it in our lives in community. Uh, Specifically at this time, we are currently going through Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, This is where we see the four devotions of the early church. They devoted themselves to Scripture, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship. And these kind of became the four anchor points of that early community that then went on to be a community of awe and wonder, of miracles and justice and incredible expansion and growth as people were added by the Lord to their number daily as they were being saved. And so we just figured if that was a good place for the early church to start as they modeled what they had seen in the life of Jesus, uh, it's probably a good place for us to start as well. Now, over the last three months, we have been completing what we call a communion focus. We felt uh, led in prayer to start with the breaking of the bread. And uh, we went through three months of focusing on communion, on the breaking of the bread or the Eucharist, as you may know it, uh, from three different angles. Uh, Number one, uh, a place of encounter. At the table with Jesus. We then looked back at a place of remembrance. Every time we come around the table, we remember what we've been rescued from. And then we looked at communion as a place of expectation, a place of looking forward, a, a hope to uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb that is on the way. So we had these three focus points over three months uh, combined with personal practice table discussions and reflection and response exercises for us. Um, What the next three follower episodes are going to do are just give you the core inputs around each one of those, the talks that kind of framed the practices for each of those months coming up. So if you did do the communion focus with us, this will be a nice recap for you. If you didn't, this will catch you up on some of what we've been covering over the last couple of months. I hope it's helpful for you. And then it also gives you a little taste of kind of what we do at a communion, uh, what we do in a focus place, at least. Um, Coming up in the next couple of months, we're going to be doing a focus on prayer. So if you enjoy some of what you're hearing here, maybe you want to consider uh, thinking about taking a couple of months out of your life to focus in community around the practice of prayer and how that leads us deeper into friendship with Jesus. These talks happened on Zoom calls, uh, and so as you're listening, you may uh, hear a few participation elements or moments when uh, I or somebody else is speaking directly to the people participating. That's fine. It just gives you a sense of the community there. But ultimately, we felt like this content was really helpful for us and wanted to share it with you. So without uh, much more to say, here is the first uh, talk of our communion focus, Encountering Jesus at the Table.
1: If you have a Bible, you want to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, 42. So um, context, uh, the church has been born, right? Uh, Peter, an uh, average little fisherman guy, uh, and all his little followers have been hiding in a room because Jesus uh, has been crucified, has been resurrected and has then ascended to the Father. And Jesus has said to them, I need you to wait to receive the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you're gonna be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And so there they are waiting. And you can imagine what this is like. And there's a ruckus going on. It's not necessarily peaceful times. There's stirrings. You can imagine the people who kind of orchestrated people's, uh, Jesus' death in the background are shook now, that there's, there's rumors of this man being alive. You can imagine Rome's not very happy with that, considering the fact particularly that Pilate uh, basically allowed Jesus to be to be murdered to stop an insurrection, to stop a riot, okay? So you can imagine the tension that's in the air. You can imagine these Christians, they don't know they're Christians yet because they're not called that yet. they just waiting in a room now, going, freak, what are we going to do now? And remember, they don't have the book of Acts to give them faith, because they are the book of Acts. So, so they don't know what's coming around the corner. They're just waiting. And then in their waiting, the Holy Spirit comes on them in power. And uh, they begin to speak in languages that help them interpret this message to all the gathered multitudes. There are people from all over the region in that place. And so God gives them different languages. And then what's fascinating is out of this message, Peter, Peter essentially preaches the first sermon in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church is born, but it's born 3,000 of them out of a diverse group of people from all over the region, so diverse that they spoke in different languages. So they, so these people are not, they didn't have everything in con- common. They were different cultures, different languages, different backgrounds. But the Spirit of God did something so powerful in them that a church was born out of that. Fast forward. We have this community now that are starting to gather and trying to figure out, well, what do we do now with this message? How do we follow this Jesus? And we see here in Acts 2.42, it says this, that they, all these people, because now Peter has preached his sermon, they devoted themselves. That's a key word you want to underline or highlight if you're an underliner or highlighter. That's practice language, right? So we're a community of learning and practice. Devotion is practice language. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to praise. So these are the four markers or or four key devotions of the early church. And it's a strange thing to devote yourself to when you consider the context. (laughs) If if you were in the middle of a hostile territory trying to figure out how to now follow a random rabbi dude uh, with like, like not sure what this is going to do with you, maybe you would devote yourself to um, hand-to-hand combat. Maybe you would devote yourself to learning that. Hey? Or maybe you would devote yourself to like wilderness survival skills for when you have to flee out into this. There's a lot of things you could devote yourself to, but here they are devoting themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to being family, to the breaking of bread of all things and to prayer. And here's what's so powerful. They devote themselves to these four things. And then the next verse matters. All came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's crazy because this is a church that had nothing in common, not even language. But because they've devoted themselves to these four simple things, they now have all things in common. It's crazy. Uh, They were selling their possessions and belongings, And distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what we're seeing here, guys, is what we would call in our context a revival. Okay, we're we're seeing people daily added, we're seeing supernatural unity, we're seeing awe and wonder and signs and wonders, and all of this is built on a foundation of four simple practices, devotion to scripture, devotion to prayer, devotion to fellowship and community, devotion to the breaking of the bread, okay, those are the devotions of the practices of the early church, so we felt as we were praying that that would be a good place to start, if we want to figure out how to be the people of the way then maybe it makes sense to look at the first people of the way and figure out how did they do this and so what we're going to do is we're going to take each one of those over the next while and we're going to drill down into each one of those and practice those things and learn those things together and so our first focus is the focus of the breaking of the bread the focus of communion we're going to be doing that for the next 3 months And what we're going to do is we're going to look at communion from three different angles, one angle each month, and then we're going to learn and practice it. And the reason that we're doing communion first is really in response to what we felt was a prophetic word from the Lord. We just felt that the Lord said, "Uh, I want you to put communion, the breaking of the bread, right at the center of follower. And we didn't really understand it at the time. We were just kind of moving in obedience. But as we've been practicing this for the last couple of years, I can totally see why God wants this to be a cornerstone of our community. Um, So many different powerful things, and we'll get into it in a second. But, you know, the beautiful thing about communion is that there's no rock star except Jesus. When your community is built around the table, nobody's coming for a brand. Nobody's coming for a personality or a skill set. We are coming because the Lamb of God who was slain is enough to draw us. So when our community is built around the breaking of the bread, Jesus really is the center. I just love that. I also love what communion is, and the key is in the name, right? Communion, that we commune with God, and I love that. I love that God would want to mark our community as a community of intimacy, where where we are about seeing Him and knowing Him and connecting with Him and being with Him, and He's given us this meal where He says, "Man, every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup." This is my body. This is my blood. And you do this in remembrance with me. And, you know, when you study the church history, pretty much across the board, there's different views on it. But the one thing we know is that something special is happening in this meal. Somehow God is meeting with us in this meal. And so we understand this idea of the general presence of God and then the manifest presence of God. So God is always everywhere. And sometimes he turns up his volume somewhere right? So sometimes there's a concentration of the felt experience of the presence of God in a place. And around communion, this happens. Communion is the opportunity for us to connect with the living God. It's a a sacred, sacred space. Um, Now, why did the early church give themselves to this practice? Well, for one thing, Jesus told them to do it. (laughs) That's, That's the simplest way, right? So What's so great, and I want to say this, we didn't plan this, okay? We didn't know that today would be Maundy Thursday. We didn't plan this in advance. But today is Maundy Thursday. And the day that we are kicking off a three-month focus on communion just happens to be on the church calendar the same day that for years and years and years people have remembered the Last Supper of Jesus before he goes to Gethsemane. We didn't know that. I literally only realized that this week, (laughs) okay? But that is so encouraging to me that it's like such a confirmation, such a kiss from the father, just going like, man, you guys are on it and I'm with you in this journey. And so that just blows my mind, right? For thousands of years, people have been celebrating this meal. Why? Because when he knew he was gonna die on the very last night before he was going to be crucified, Jesus wanted to have a meal with his friends, and it wasn't just any meal. It was a Passover meal, and he entered into this Passover meal, and he repurposed Passover to make it about him, to help everybody understand that he is the lamb that now takes away the sin of the world, and then he gave them this meal as a way to anchor them in that truth and that reality, and I want to say that when you start to study communion or the Passover meal or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same thing, right? What you start to understand is that Jesus is so brilliant because this meal is more rich and more nuanced in its perspective and more loaded in its theology than you could probably get into in a lifetime. Every time I start to think I'm getting my head around communion, there's like another angle that completely opens up to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this also means that. And then I'm like, okay, now I've got it, I've got it. I've got like my working theology of communion. Then I read some more or experience some more and it opens up a whole new thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, this means that. And it's like, what Jesus has done is he's, he's taken the whole story and he's smashed it into a meal and he's given it and he's put it right in the heart of the community of people. And every time we gather, we are eating and drinking theology We are forming and shaping ourselves around the story of Jesus. We are communing with the living God. His presence is there with us. We are being shaped and changed. We are being reminded and and, and enlivened. We're being encouraged and inspired. It's so fully loaded that I could never tell you everything in a sermon or maybe a bunch of sermons. All I would say to you is just go practice it, okay? Just go practice it because you're going to encounter Jesus for yourself. I wanted to give us a little bit of a biblical overview, so just a short, like literally the the scoop of the iceberg, just the tip of the iceberg there, to give you some sense for the richness of what we're entering into. Then I wanted us to enter into a story um, around communion, and then we'll enter into some discussion. Is that okay? And why this is so big, guys, is because I grew up in an Anglican church, right? God bless the Anglicans. I love you guys the best. And communion, the Eucharist, we do this every Sunday. I still use some of those prayers, love that stuff, but I still didn't get it, you with me, it was like, I was an altar boy, I had the Batman robe, I did the candles, I rang the little bell, I did all the things, I knew all the traditions, but I am I still didn't get it, and then I have friends who've only grown up in context where communion is like the thing that you do maybe once a month, if you can fit it between like the notices and the tithes, you know, and it's like, and And I just feel like in our church today, we just don't get it. We don't get how powerful this thing is and what Jesus has actually given us. And why would the early church make this a core pillar, a foundational practice of their community? So to give us a little taste of that, we always go back to Genesis, right? I'm not going to go to the Bible for all of these. If you want my notes, just ask for them. I'll give it to you. But it would just make it very clumsy to go to the Bible the whole time. But go all the way back to Genesis. And as with pretty much everything, if you want to understand anything, you want to start in Genesis, okay? (laughs) I want to start in Genesis, because that gives us context for the whole big story. You go all the way back to Genesis, and you find a tree there. Well, you find two trees there. And the one tree is the tree of life, and the other tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is the first meal, right? Because God creates this tree, and his intention, actually, he says that, I want you guys to eat from every tree in the garden just not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to eat from it. So what he's saying is, including the tree of life, I want you to eat from that tree of life. Then what happens with Adam and Eve is they don't eat from the tree of life. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the temptation to put ourselves before the Father. And then you see in Genesis there that God says, oh no, we've got to do something because if they eat from the tree of life, they'll live forever now. And that's a challenge. So we know that eating from this tree was an issue of life and death. This tree of life yes and then they are separated from god out of the garden but even in their separation there is grace why because they're covered with animal skin now where does the animal skin come from okay first sacrifice really cool picture there so there's something ca- covering their shame and then they they're taken out of the garden now the rest of the story is about god and his covenant with the people he makes this covenant with a guy called abraham and if you know anything about the covenant, the way these things work, the way that God instilled it was with sacrifice. But the cool thing about the covenant with Abraham is that God makes both sides of the agreement. So in any covenant, is like if you were making a covenant, you would cut the animals in two. Then if two parties, let's say me and Amy were going to be in a covenant, I would walk through the blood and then Amy would walk through the blood. And, and in doing that, we would say, that if we break this covenant, we are both liable now for the for the consequences. But when God's making a covenant with Abraham, he puts him to sleep, okay? And then there's a vision of a smoking pot that goes through the blood. So Abraham doesn't even walk the blood. What is God saying there? He's saying, my covenant is with me <laughs> over these people. I have covenant with Israel with myself. So I'm committed to you because of me. That's so, so, so powerful. And then we see throughout the whole story, God is consistently reaching out to this nation of Israel, and we see trees, significantly trees and meals being in the middle of the story. And then there's a significant moment when Israel is in Egypt. They've been taken into slavery, right? And now there's the Exodus, and so they're going to leave Egypt. And this is the beginning of a meal called the Passover, right? And so what God says is basically he's coming against all the gods of Egypt, And then, uh, and that's a whole story in and of itself, very powerful. But essentially, they sacrifice a lamb, they put the blood on the door, and then death passes over their home, and then they are taken out of Egypt. But what's important is when they go through the sea into the wilderness, that wilderness journey is the rest of their journey of being prepared to get Egypt out of them. So in other words, it took a moment and miracles to get them out of Egypt. But it took 40 years in the wilderness to get Egypt out of them, right? And one of the ways that God gets Egypt out of them is he gives them meals. And one of these meals is the Passover meal. And the reason that God gives them meals is because these meals are formational in their nature. That every time the nation of Israel engages in this meal, they are being reminded of the God who brought them out of Egypt. And this meal is forming them and shaping them and forming them and shaping them every time, and it's getting Egypt out of them. Fast forward, fast forward, uh, you've got this nation of Israel, and now there's this guy Jesus that pitches up on the scene, right? And he has now come, and he's declaring that there is a kingdom that's present. And what happens about Jesus? This is so wild. I don't know if you ever noticed that, oh, oh, one more thing. In the wilderness, uh, Israel is is fed with manna daily. Did you know that? Manna in the wilderness, bread in the wilderness. Okay. Now we're back to Jesus. So John the Baptist comes and he proclaims Jesus. Jesus gets into his ministry. The feeding of the 5,000, you can go check this out. When Jesus breaks the bread on the hill, he does it at Passover. That's so wild to me. So he breaks the bread at Passover. After he's done this, and he blesses the bread, and he breaks the bread, and he feeds the multitude, and it's Passover. Then he crosses the lake, because now he's done with these people, because they all just want the free bread. And then they follow him to the other side of the lake. And this is when Jesus says, you guys don't understand what's going on because you ate manna in the wilderness, but I now am the bread of life. And unless you eat of me and drink of me, you have no part with me. And that is directly linked to the miracle of the breaking of the bread of the thousands, right? So can you see a picture developing here? Now, remember, he's speaking to a community who have been practicing Passover and remembering the story for year after year after year after generation after generation after generation. So when Jesus starts using language like bread in the wilderness and I am the bread of life, when he's doing it at Passover time, none of this is lost on them. Makes sense. Then it's Passover time. And Jesus, it's his final time, and he's he's about to go be crucified. Nobody really knows what this is about. In fact, most of his disciples aren't really sure he's going to be crucified, even though he told them a bajillion times, which brings hope to me, because even though I'm dense, I can still follow Jesus. I'm excited about that. But on Passover, Jesus goes, and he has this meal. And he takes the meal, and it would have been a meal they had done so many times, remembering the same act. And Jesus says, this blood, this wine is my blood, this bread is my body, and in that moment, if you were a Jew, in that context, the lights are starting to go on, you're starting to understand what happens, right, then Jesus goes, and he's crucified, he's crucified on a hill, on a tree, (laughs) okay, so the, so the new tree of life is Christ, and this is, can you see the link, And so as they were eating of the tree in the garden to find life, Jesus becomes the new tree of life. And he's saying, if you will eat of me, you will have life. That's what's so freaking crazy. Not only this, but Jesus, when he's in the meal at Passover, he he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. So he's saying that that there was a God who made a covenant with a people through a sacrifice. There's a story of a tree and life. I am all of those things in one moment. And on a hill, on a tree, I am going to make a new covenant with my blood. And in the same way Abraham couldn't walk through the covenant, you can't walk through the covenant. So I'm going to covenant with myself for you. Like says, for, <laughs> for the whole world. And that would be cool enough if that was the end of the story. But it's not the end of the story. Because when you read Revelation, here's what you see. You see a marriage supper, a a feast, the lamb's feast. And Jesus, even when he's doing the Passover meal, he says, I won't eat of this again or drink of this again until I drink of it in the new kingdom, right? And revelation gives us this picture of what we're looking forward to. So guys, every time we come around communion and we eat of that bread and drink of that cup, we are anchoring ourselves in a future reality. We're saying we understand that we are people living into the future, that there is a meal coming, there's a feast coming, a marriage supper of the Lamb, where everything will be made whole in Jesus Christ once and for all. And so we are no longer people who are anchored in the temporary. No, we're anchored in eternity. Added to that, you keep reading your Revelation, and what do you see? A tree of life in the city of God. And it's established one more time. And the whole story comes full circle. That is the significance of the meal. That's why we eat, because we're eating of the tree in the same way that one day we'll eat of the tree. And so every time we come around this meal, every time we break this bread, every time we drink of this cup, does it's not a simple thing. And I literally hope that you can see I've done a 30,000 foot fast-forward overview of this idea. If you drill down into any one of these concepts, you could spend weeks, months studying this stuff. The communion meal is so rich and so powerful and tra- so transformative that as we practice it, it reminds us of who we who we were, the story that we're a part of, what we've been adopted into. Because remember, we're grafted in, hey? If, any, if that's a new idea to anybody, you didn't get saved into a vacuum. God's committed to a people, Israel, and we've been saved into a family and a family story. We come with a history and a heritage. And so we've been grafted into that story. The exile story, the Passover story is our story. And every time we eat this meal, we remind ourselves that the blood is over our doorposts, that death passes over our house. But not only that, that we've been liberated from Egypt, homies. We're no longer spending our life wasting ourselves away making bricks for Egypt. No, 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 no. We've gone through the waters of the Red Sea, baptism, into the wilderness. Where now we live on the manna that is the daily bread of Jesus. And we are transformed daily as we walk with him in the wilderness until such time as we cross that river into the promised land. Makes sense? That's what we're reminded of. That's our history. That's our legacy. And we remember it every time we take the meal. But more than that, we with that people, as a part of that story, every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember, man, this meal that's on its way changes everything. There's a meal coming. There's a marriage supper of the Lamb on its way. There's a tree of life in that garden just over the horizon. And our hope is anchored to it. And so come what may on this side of eternity, we're strengthened by the bread. We're changed in the blood. We're covered in it. We're, pu- we're purified by it. We're in the new covenant. Do you get it? Are you seeing it? If you're with me, just give me some fiery motor I need to know I to somebody tonight. What I'm trying to help you understand is this is anything but just a meal yes this is this is anything but just a biscuit and some grape juice this is this is not that and Paul in Corinthians very very clearly uh, he says to them you guys are taking the Lord's Supper but it's not the Lord's Supper you're taking because you're taking of it in an inappropriate manner and that's a contextual issue because what's happening is they're they're getting drunk and they're eating food while the poor have nothing to eat. But the principle is the same. We can't afford to enter into this meal in an inappropriate way. We have to have an understanding of the sacredness of this meal. Another tree that stands out for us in the story is the burning tree on the mountain with Moses. Yes? And in that moment, God says to Moses, hey, 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 you're on? holy ground. Take off your shoes if you're going to approach. That's what's happening when we come to this tree of life. When we eat of his body and drink of his blood, we need to take off our shoes because this is holy ground. Jesus says to us, he says, man, every time time you drink this thing, it's my blood. Every time you eat this thing, it's my body. What he's doing is he's, he's building an opportunity for us to respond in faith. It's like a plug in a socket. And he's saying, I've set this meal up so that you can encounter me. My body and my blood can be present with you. Now, how you posture yourself in faith will determine the experience of that or not. Yes. So if you come to the Lord's Supper, just casually smashing back a grape juice shot and chowing your biscuit, Well, then that's all it's going to be for you. But I want to say to you, that's not the Lord's Supper. Makes sense. What makes the Lord's Supper is when believers come in faith. And trust the word of the master. And we do this in remembrance of him. And we search ourselves. And we we examine ourselves. And where we are, where we, we were full of sin, we ask for forgiveness and we thank God for it. If we're unreconciled with our neighbors, we don't bring our sacrifice to the altar without reconciliation. Make sense? We don't come into his presence without first reconciling here. We take this so seriously because we believe that Jesus has said, Man, if you'll come with faith, then what will happen is this bread and this blood, it's it's going to be the tree of life to you. (laughs) Yeah, It's, it's the new covenant. It's the reminder. It's the shaper. It's the changer. It's going to form you every time you do it. This is why the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Because it was theology in a meal. Because it anchored them in their story and pointed them to their future and form them in the process. That's why. And it's powerful. And in Corinthians, we say, we read, man, that we remember his death and we proclaim him until he comes. So there's this moment in communion where all of the history that we've been saved into and all of the future that we're hoping our way toward collides in a moment. It's like time travel, (laughs) so powerful, right? And so as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are imported into a moment where that is a reality, where the collision of the Exodus and the hope of the marriage supper of the Lamb come and and bear the reality on us. And we enter into that for a moment, a thin place with God.
2: Well, that's it for the first episode of our three-part communion series here on the Follow-Up Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed that with all the energy included. I I find it... um, a little bit cringe when I have to edit myself, uh, getting all passionate and excited like that. But uh, hopefully it was it was good for you nevertheless. Uh, next week on the podcast, we have Langa Ombonambi. You may know him from the We Will Worship movement. He is um, yeah, a worship leader, a friend, and just a great thinker around these things. And he helps us consider communion through the lens of remembrance. And the exodus story and what it means for us to remember all that we have been rescued out of by the sacrifice of jesus so uh yeah hope that that episode will be good for you uh please like share subscribe leave a review all these things really really help the podcast and until we chat to you next week here's a clip of the episode to come and and back to the 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 point of remembrance as well it's such a key part of scripture which which I think we
1: miss, is that whenever God is asking us to do something or to be something, He causes us first to remember our deliverance, so that our hearts would desire to follow in His way, and not feel like entitled or, or, or push back against what He's saying. But when we remember what God has done for us, it's logical for us to want to follow him and to follow his way.
0: That's all for this episode of The Follower Podcast. If you found it helpful or inspiring, please consider sharing it and leaving a review on your podcast platform to help us connect with more people around the world.
2: If you would like to support the ministry of Follower with a monthly contribution or one-off donation, you can visit www.wearefollower.com forward slash support
0: and to say thank you we'll send you a free copy of live the story an ebook that helps you learn to share your faith with others
1: until next time may you follow jesus to the depths of his heart as he helps you share his love
2: wherever you go from the ground beneath your feet to the very end of the earth